part of the problem with me networking is I'm shy. And that's not going to cut it because all of the guys in New York that I met who were really kicking butt at networking, they were like, hey, bro, let's go roll jujitsu. Let's go do this. And I was like, I can't hang with these guys. I'm not cool and outgoing and fun like all these Brooklynites. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I first want to say a big thank you to all the listeners. We've just ranked as one of the top new shows when it comes to the markets of Canada, the US, the UK, as well as Malaysia. So a big thanks to all the listeners to keep bringing these episodes completely commercial free. Be sure to leave us a review, share with friends, and give us a comment about which episodes you really took some amazing insights that you can apply in the workplace to help you become a superhuman at work. So let's get started with today's episode with Jordan Arbinger. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. We have the one and only Jordan Harbinger right here. Jordan, it's such a pleasure to have you here. You're such a vast of information when it comes to networking and this whole concept of social engineering that I know we're going to get a chance to dive into in this episode. Now, before we get into these topics, I really wanted to know a bit more about your journey because you started in Wall Street as a lawyer. You're now one of the top podcasts or was the top podcast in 2018. And people like Inc. Magazine refer to you as the Larry king of podcasting. And so to give us a taste of this journey, I'd love to know how did that go and how is networking and social engineering kind of constantly present as a skill over the years? Yeah, so I started podcasting originally almost 13 years ago now. And the reason I did it was because I joined a law firm on Wall Street. And when I did my first summer there, I was like, uh oh, You know, I used to be the kid who could like go, oh, we have a geometry test today, I'll be fine. I'm just gonna teach myself the stuff on the exam or like, you know, the hour before the exam at the lunch period. So I coasted by on that and then I got to college and everybody was much smarter than me and was able to do that times 10. So I was like, well, what can I do? And I shifted my competitive advantage to being able to outwork everyone because it was college. Everyone was just drinking and hanging out. And I'm like, well, if I go to class and do the reading, I'll probably graduate with B's and A's. And that's what happened. But then I got to Wall Street and it was like, everyone is smart, everyone is hardworking, we're all there for 16, 20 hours a day, we're all there seven days a week. Those people were much, much better at paying attention and focusing and seemed to have all this natural smarts. And of course, now we know this as imposter syndrome, but back then it just looked like Jordan's getting fired at some point. It's only a matter of time. I'm the guy who slipped through the cracks, they're gonna figure me out and then I'm out of my butt. So I asked one of the partners and I said, hey, how come you're so young, you're a partner, and I never see you in the office? And I thought he was gonna be like, I work from home and it's really easy, and here's the secret cheat code that you need to work from home. That's literally what I thought he would tell me and I'd be able to figure out how to work from home. What he said was, oh, I'm out bringing in business for the firm, so I'm actually more valuable outside the office than I am inside the office. And my mind just exploded, because I was like, wait a second you bring in work, how do you network? And I thought, well, this doesn't make sense to me because I thought you'd work your butt off, you make partner, and then you end up with a network because, I don't know, country club, something, 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 right? 
And he's like, no, 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 it's the other way around. You build your book of business and then they make you partner because they can't afford to lose you because if they lose you, they lose all their business. And I'm like, what? Nobody ever told us this. So that's when I decided my new competitive advantage had to be go to work and figure out how to network and bring in business. Don't necessarily sit there stressing out about trying to be the last one out of the office. Don't sit there and stress out and try to be the smartest guy in the room and have all these clever things, these little tricks, because that's a losing battle and I'm just gonna look like an idiot and make myself miserable. So I dedicated myself to learning the psychology of sales, persuasion, influence, and things like that, because I figured, rightly so, that if everyone else was just like, I'm gonna keep my head down and not make any noise and not squeak at all because I don't wanna get in trouble and I don't want any attention, if I don't go that route and I build a skill set while everyone else is kind of asleep at the wheel, then I'm good. In five years when they're like, why aren't you bringing in business to everyone else but me, I'll have this massive head start, a huge network and a bunch of skills. and. That sort of is what happened, except I ended up not staying in law and ended up teaching networking. And now it's kind of funny because literally this weekend I'm flying to Phoenix to speak to the Association of Corporate Counsel, which is basically like all the in-house counsel lawyers at these big companies around the United States. And I'm just thinking, how funny is this that I basically couldn't cut it as a lawyer and now I'm getting hired by lawyers to teach them all this stuff that I tried to teach them 20 years ago that they thought was not important. And now that they're all partners and important corporate counsel, they're like, geez, nobody's teaching this, we need this. Where's that loser that we almost fired, <laughs> you know? Bring him in. That's hilarious. And you know, I feel like this is not an edge case story. This seems to be something that we've heard before, that this whole power of networking is important and it's what gets you truly ahead. And when we know that, why is it so ignored in the workplace? It's like this, I'll put it in an entrepreneurship context because I think a lot of people who are listening to Mind Valley are probably entrepreneurs as well. There's that whole contingent. Let's say you're starting a company or you're new at a company and you go, all right, I have a hundred things to do. Social media, I've got to manage my team, I've got to hire this, I've got to do these kinds of IP and create this. You've got a hundred things to do, 99 of them, you have some sort of game plan for. You know you've got to hire a graphic designer and manage them, and you know what kind of assets you want for Instagram, and you're gonna be making some videos for YouTube, and you've got to write the scripts for this and that. But then you get to networking, and it's like this weird black box there's no real plan and you go, I guess, you know, as things come across my desk, these networking opportunities, I'll go to those and I don't know, I'll go to a mixer or something, but you don't really have a plan, you have a black box. So what happens is when you have 100 things, or let's say you have 10 and you have a plan for nine of them, what happens to the 10th thing? It gets deprioritized all the way down to the bottom and we know what happens with things that are deprioritized and at the bottom of the list it's on your to-do list for seven years and then one day you just delete it because you go, I'm clearly never doing this. I'm never gonna write book. You know, let's just cross it off, put it next to like learn how to ride horses and just forget about it, you know, don't bother. And the problem with networking and relationship skills being deprioritized like that is you can't make up for lost time when it comes to relationships and relationship development. You have to dig the well before you're thirsty as they would say in Harvey McKay's book and everywhere else that that phrase pops up. What you end up with is it's deprioritized, 
people don't learn it, then they eventually give up either because it's deprioritized or if you're more of a go-getter, you drive all the way across town, you fight traffic, you find a parking space, it's eight bucks for two hours, you go in, some guy in a $48 suit is handing you a stale cookie and a glass of Kool-Aid and is like, introduce yourself, and you're like, all right, fine. So then you introduce yourself, and 58 financial planners come up and hand you a business card that curls up in your hand because it's so thin and it's hot. And they go, when you're looking to invest your money for retirement, give me a call. And then a guy tries to sell you a used car and you sprint out the door and you get in your car and you go, wow, that was a waste of time. I'm never doing that again. I should have been home watching Netflix. And then 90 minutes later, you're vowing never to go to a networking event again and you feel so burned that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You think networking is just a bunch of losers asking me for something. That's not really what I wanna do. I hate selling myself. I'm not doing this anymore. And so it's basically you give up because of a fundamental misconception of what networking is, which is you going to some crappy mixer eating a stale cookie and getting approached by a bunch of takers when networking is actually kind of the opposite if you do it right. And we can talk about what that means. Would love to. And Jordan, you painted such a concrete picture. I'm here trying to hold myself from laughing in the moment that you're speaking because I think a lot of us, I know myself personally, have experienced this exact scenario that you speak of. And so when you are exposed to that, the first thing that happens is I feel like, wow, you're right. Networking isn't important if that's all it is. But like, what should it be? What is the vision of good networking? And how do I understand how valuable it is so I can actually prioritize it? Yeah, so with networking, you really only need to get a couple of lucky breaks before you go, oh my gosh, this is really good. And you start to see this pattern. So for me, one of the early examples that I can give you that will illustrate this is when I was in law school and I decided I needed to network, this is after my first summer internship at the law firm, I realized, okay, part of the problem with me networking is I'm shy. And that's not gonna cut it because all of the guys in New York that I met who were really kicking butt at networking, they were like, hey bro, let's go roll jujitsu, let's go do this. And I was like, I can't hang with these guys. I'm not cool and outgoing and fun like all these Brooklynites. So I decided I need to layer my personality a little bit, but I didn't want to act fake and be weird. And that's exactly what I think a lot of people who want to network think they have to do. So I decided I was going to go out every night, six nights a week on my own, not with friends, because if I go out with friends, then I'm going to just talk to them all night. But if I go out by myself, then I have to talk to other people. That sort of worked, right? I would go in, I'd have a couple drinks, I'd get a little courage, I'd start up a couple conversations with the staff and maybe some other friendly looking people at the bar and that worked okay. But then I started retreating into my shell again and I realized I can't just drink like seven drinks and then go out and socialize. That's not gonna work for me. So I've gotta be kind of careful with that. And so I stopped doing that and then I realized, uh-oh, I'm hiding in the corner, basically nursing a gin and tonic. This isn't gonna work for me either. So I came up with a solution which made it impossible for me to hide. And I'm not recommending this. I'm giving it to you as an example of like this silly extreme measure that I took in order to get over me being shy and me hiding in the corner. And that was I put on a kangaroo suit with no head. It was just a kangaroo body with a tail and a pouch and a stuffed baby kangaroo in the pouch. And I went to the bar and I wore that thing for like a month 
and you can't hide in the corner when you're wearing a kangaroo. Everyone goes, oh, you're just doing that annoying thing where everyone has to look at you. It's not quite like that. I wasn't wearing it to be like, I'm the cool kangaroo guy. I wore it because you cannot hide in the corner if you're wearing a kangaroo suit. And everyone will come up and talk to you and go, so dude, what's up with the kangaroo suit? And you have to have a conversation. And so I wore the kangaroo suit until I was comfortable just starting the conversations myself because I knew they were inevitable and there was no point in me waiting for them to happen. I wanted to control the interactions so I wasn't just talking about the dang kangaroo suit. So I wore it for a week or so after I'd gotten used to taking control of the conversation and then I just started dressing normally and what had happened at that point was I was then able to just walk around the bar or the restaurant and chat with people like I owned the place and half of them didn't even recognize me or they go, oh, you're Jordan from the, yes, right, the guy with the kangaroo suit, where's your kangaroo suit, buddy? And I'd be like, oh, I'm over that now. And they'd be like, you're so funny, you're so hilarious. And I remember getting all this feedback and going, wow, that's not what people tell me about me. The narrative about me that others had and the narrative that I had from being treated differently by others changed. Instead of being, oh, you're quiet, you know, put a smile on your face, you know, come out and hang out with us, went to, oh, that's that zany guy who like everyone talks to and he came in here with a kangaroo suit, he's hilarious. I was the outgoing zany guy and that had never been me in my whole life. And by zany, I don't mean clowning, I just mean outgoing, start conversations with everybody, the whole staff knows who I am, chat up all the regulars, and that changed the way that I look at myself, not just the way other people look at me. And I'm not saying you have to do that, but you do have to find a way to change the narrative about networking if you're thinking, well, it's for people who are gonna go out and sell themselves and be smarmy and hand out business cards and that's just not me. You have to realize that that's not how networking really works. That's amateur level. That's level one BS where you're trying to get clients for your Herbalife shake company or whatever, something that you're doing. Real networking is, at the highest level, is helping other people get what they want and connecting people that you already know to each other. And it really has very little to do with you getting what you want right away in a transactional fashion. It has to do with you plugging your network into each other and not going into interactions thinking about what you want. And that's sort of like advanced level and we should definitely talk about that. I mean, you talked about a lot of things here and I just wanna recap what I understood from here and let me know if I'm hitting the mark. Because for one, there seems to be this like identity barrier, like people are self-selecting themselves out of this activity of networking because they're saying, I am not one of these people. And what you did is of course at an extreme level, but sometimes, you know, if you wanna see a significant change, you can do some extreme things and you will immediately see some results, which is one strategy. Wearing that kangaroo suit actually allows you to completely change that conversation, change that identity. As you immerse after that, you are now that zany character. And by having that identity, it just created more fluidity in your way of having conversations. But I also noticed you mentioned the fact that you've actually started talking to the bartenders and the staff through the people that would be consistently there. And I'm almost thinking that this is actually a system when it comes to going to any kind of networking event that you could actually go and talk first to the people who are organizing as a low level kind of easy to enter type of people that you should be having conversations with as you start regularly attending those. Would that be true? Yeah, this is funny. I used to be a doorman in Detroit and I was like the smallest guy and sometimes the only white guy at work. 
And now I know how to sort of navigate these nightlife scenarios because of that. And I had other jobs like being a security driver for celebrities and driving people home from work that worked in dangerous occupations or dangerous areas, things like that. So yes, there's a skill set here and it's better illustrated with an example. Actually, let me go back to your earlier point where a lot of people think this isn't my identity. A lot of people will go, I have a medical excuse not to network because I'm an introvert. I took Myers-Briggs and I'm an INTJ, so I can't do it. And that's just not how this works. Susan Cain, who wrote the book Quiet, science in there is basically showing that introverts are actually better at connecting with people in many ways. Extroverts go out and they perform and everyone looks at them, but introverts are listening to what other people have to say. They think about how other people might feel based on what they're about to say. They connect better. They do a lot more one-on-one -on -one sort of interaction. They create deeper relationships. We all know extroverts that we kind of sort of maybe know, but I think we all know a ton of introverts where we're like, that person's one of my closest friends. You know, he was there when such and such thing happened in my life and like really was there for me. That's an introvert quality. Introvert just means you need me time to recharge. It doesn't mean you cannot socialize because you have some sort of like handicap. That's not what that means. And going back to the example with the nightlife thing, the reason I was talking to the staff is because they're always there. So when you go to a bar on a Wednesday night in a small town, there's nobody there but the staff. And I was either going to sit there and drink alone like a weirdo, drink water half the time, or talk to the staff. And so I was talking to the staff on those off nights to get practice, but then when I would go in on a busy night, I'd walk in and I'd hear, Jordan, you know, and the doorman would come up and like lift me up in the air and like, he's a huge dude. So he'd lift me up in the air and be like, Jordan's here. And then people would just start cheering even if they had no idea who I was because the staff was excited. So you enter the room like you're some kind of celebrity or something. It's just absolutely kind of crazy how that works. And you find out how the social dynamics work in all these different situations. And even to this day now, if I go into a bar in New York City or something like that on a Friday night and it's packed and I'm with a bunch of my friends, the first thing I do is chat to the doorman and say, hey man, how's your night going? And it's all right, same old, same old, this is what door guys say. And then I go, do you want anything to drink? I can go grab you a drink if you want because they can't leave their post. And the waitstaff seldom comes out because they're busy. They're serving customers and making money. So if you say, you want anything? Usually they'll say no, but they'll look at you sideways and they'll pause and they'll try to judge your character. And sometimes they go, give me a Red Bull, will you? And I go, great, what's your name? And they're like, Jimmy. And then you shake their hand. I go, into, I go straight to the bar and I go, hey, Jimmy out front wants a Red Bull. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, oh, he's dying out there. Give him a Red Bull. My name's Jordan. So often they'll go, I'll bring it to him directly. Or they'll say, here you go. Thank you. And then you go out and you bring that guy his Red Bull. Usually you never get charged for it. But even if you do, trust me, it's a worthy investment in your safety, depending on which bar you're at. And they'll say, thank you very much. What's your name? And you will never have to wait in that line again. You will never, if they're collecting cover, you won't have to pay it. Usually they don't, though. It's somebody else. And you certainly, if there's anything that happens in that bar, unless the owner's the one throwing you out or another staff member, if somebody's messing with you or being loud in your general direction and that guy comes over, who do you think he's going to side with? So, like... That's not the kind of networking you're probably talking about with Mind Valley here or for your business, but it's very, very, very similar 
to the principles at work here. You're just getting people what they want. You're investing in other people and eventually maybe, but maybe not, you will eventually need or want something from them, but you don't go into it with that in mind. I don't go out thinking, I might get a bottle thrown at me today. I just wanna make sure that the staff knows me because you can't make relationships like that when you need them. You have to dig the well before you're thirsty. That's how that works in a nightlife scenario. It is almost no different in a business scenario. You know, if I meet a graphic designer, I don't go, well, I don't need any graphics, look over his shoulder and try to find the more important person in the room. I talk with him, find out what he or she needs, what he or she is looking for, and then I probe my network in my brain and I go, you know what, if you do graphics for mobile apps, I've got a bunch of people in my Rolodex that make apps. Let me go ahead and shoot them an email after I get home and see if they ever need app graphics because they probably do, they're coders and you can never have enough good people in your stable. Send me your portfolio. So then you've got their portfolio sitting in your email, you reach out to your app coder friends and go, met this guy at an event, really nice guy, probably a pleasure to work with, young and hungry, he's 28, portfolio looks decent, let me know if you need an intro. Many of the people will say, no, I'm good, thanks for thinking of me, or I'll save this and let you know. But occasionally, and more often than you might think, one of those people will come back and go, you know what, your timing is crazy. My designer just left and I'm kinda screwed. I have three apps that are being bottlenecked. I'd love to give this guy a try. So you get that guy a job, and you get the other guy a designer, and you're the hero and you sent three emails. Right, it's scalable. It is terrible. And like I myself am someone that I do enjoy the process of networking. I've had these earlier wins as well. So I have seen this happen. And this whole idea of just going to speak to humans that all have a story and then seeing that they might have something that's maybe not useful for you immediately, but being able to connect them to someone else is actually a really cool strategy. Now, in this example, you have a bunch of friends that are coders, but even if you didn't have friends that are coders, would you still go ahead and be interested in this people and say, like, hey, let me get your info, see if there's somebody that could be interested in it? Yes, that's what's really cool is because the more you meet these so-called random people and add them to your network, the easier it is to find matches. 10 years ago, if you'd said, hey, do you know anyone that's really good at painting murals? I'd be like, no, I have no clue. What do you, why would you even ask me this? But now if you ask me if I know anyone who paints murals, I probably have like four or five urban mural painters in any given major US city, just because of people that I've met throughout the last 10 years and are able to call upon. So it becomes easier to find matches, and if you don't know anybody that might need this person's skill, you're just filing it away, right? You're just filing it away. So the reason this is scalable is because it's just emails, and the reason that this gets easier is because here's how most people network. Oh, hey, I got invited to this mixer. My friend Jason said it's gonna be really good. So I show up, I look around, I'm feeling a little awkward, so I grab a little snack, I go and talk to the first person, and I'm like, hey, so what do you do? And they go, I'm a corporate lawyer, and I go, cool. Well, I don't really need that, so now I'm just killing time, and I make a little bit of polite small talk, and then I go, well, nice to meet you, and I walk away, and I've been looking over their shoulder, and they feel like, wow, that was weird, that guy was totally disengaged, clearly he's not interested in me, whatever, I hate networking events anyway, and then I just work the room, but I didn't find the one person that I needed, which was some kind of app coder, designer, whatever. So I work the whole room, I get tired, I go home, I say that was a waste of time, I didn't even meet an app coder or anybody cool or any you know good looking people, so what a waste of time, thanks a lot Jason. I'm annoyed that I went. Here's how pro level networking happens. I don't go to the mixer because it's not curated. 
it's open to the public. So chances are it's gonna be a bunch of financial planners and people that don't have anything else to do. So I don't wanna go to that. But then Jason invites me to a curated event where business owners that are making over, let's say six, seven figures are there. That's curated. They have to be invited. So I show up to that. And the first person I meet is a corporate lawyer or a, let's say a small business lawyer. And I'm not super interested in that for myself because I don't need that, but I say, all right, well, what kind of clients do you work with? Well, I work with small companies that are trying to protect their IP but can't afford big law firms to do it. And I go, oh, okay, like what? Well, you know, apps or small devices, startups that are working on wearables are some things that I work for. And I go, oh, that's really interesting. And then I think, who do I know that has a wearables company or is looking at that space or is in the health and wellness space generally that might know other people for this guy or is just looking at maybe patenting or trademarking some IP. Maybe nobody comes to mind, maybe some people do come to mind, but either way I grab his info, save the number, throw him in my CRM, because I keep a little CRM that keeps me in touch with people every 90 days just through a text or through an email, and I make a little note. And then, two weeks later, at another event, I meet somebody and they're like, oh, you used to be a lawyer, Jordan. How do I trademark this or how do I patent this? And I go, you know what, I'm not the right guy to ask, but let me search my CRM for legal. Oh, right, that guy I met last week, he does this for startups. Why don't I introduce you? And I reach out to him individually, I send an email to this person individually because I wanna get their permission to do the intro. It's called the double opt-in introduction. Then when they both say yes, that's when I put them together in a thread. And the reason you do the double opt-in is because you don't want that person to go, oh, I'm not working right now, I'm on maternity leave. And then you go, oh, that was weird. Or they go, yep, thanks, we already know each other. And then that was a waste of time and you kind of look like you didn't do your homework. Or you've got someone who goes, so we worked with him and it was terrible and I've been avoiding him because he's really, really annoying and now he's CC'd on this thread, which is kind of annoying, so I'm a little annoyed at Jordan, but you know, okay, fine, you know, such is life. That happens, so you wanna make sure you get the double opt-in introduction. That also makes sure that everybody is more likely to reply to the intro because they already said, sure, go ahead and make the intro. It's really rude for them to then ignore it. Whereas if an intro just shows up in my inbox and I didn't ask for it, I just usually ignore it and then I wait for the other person to reply and if they never do, then we never talk. And if they do, then I go, so this is awkward but I really don't need your services right now, but it's nice to meet you. But let me know how I can maybe help you. And then they're like, eh, okay, sure, anybody who needs small to medium business, blah, 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 blah. So I add that person to my network anyway, but it's not ideal because I don't know them and they weren't expecting that intro and neither was I. So. You have to be very, very careful with your introductions in the way that you do it, but you should do it freely and you should look for ways that you can help other people. Very rarely are you gonna get a direct hit. Very rarely are you gonna walk in somewhere and go, you know what, I need a good SEO person and you just happen to meet one. The way this is gonna work is you're gonna walk in somewhere and you're gonna say I need an SEO person, but you're gonna meet everybody but that but you're gonna meet a bunch of people that might be able to help service other people's needs inside your network. And that's how you make this scalable, and that's also how you develop a ton of referral currency or social capital, because then when you've helped you know, 100 other people, one or 10 or 100 of them are gonna to wanna to help you back at some point, and that's how you end up with these really cool opportunities, like, hey, Jordan, thanks for introducing me to the lawyer and then the graphic designer and the app person, I owe you one, 
you know, drinks on me if you're ever in Fort Worth, Texas. And I go, I don't suppose you know anybody who does this type of tax law. And then they'll fricking scour their Rolodex to find someone to help you because you've been so generous with them. So you find opportunities raining in on you because you've helped so many other people. That actually is super, super helpful. And it saves you from having to do all the legwork. Does this all make sense? Totally. And what I love about it is when you strip this down, like you're seriously just being so human with everybody. A lot of people, when they go around networking, they're so obsessed with process that they take away the whole human element. Here, you're actually showing interest in somebody, even if it's not an immediate need, because you know that this can eventually build into this Rolodex. Now, one thing that I thought I'd want to elaborate a bit more on is because you tell people a bit more about the CRM aspect and what is that? What does it stand for? And how does someone get started with that? Because what you're saying is that anybody you meet, you can actually organize them, right? Yeah, so I use something called Contactually. It's actually for real estate agents, but it's a really good CRM. And CRM is essentially like, it's customer relationship management. So you use it to manage leads and sales or something like that. And I use Contactually for real estate agents, but a lot of people will just make their own spreadsheet. The thing with that is it just gets wildly out of control really, really quickly. But there are a ton of options for CRMs. And I throw people in there, like guests I've had on the Jordan Harbinger show. I throw in people that I've met at networking events, people that I've met just randomly, and I'll put all my friends in there. I even put certain family members in there that I might not necessarily remember to talk to. And then I log in every week. I dedicate like an hour to this or more. I log in and there's a dashboard and it's like, you haven't talked with this person for 90 days. You haven't talked with this person for 45 days and you specify the number of days. For me, it's 45 days or 90 days or six months. And six months is like for people that are very much on the periphery of my network, but usually it's 90 days. And what's great about this is you then click, oh, I followed up with this person or it attaches to your Gmail or your G Suite and it'll say, oh, you just emailed this person, so it'll reset the clock on them. But everybody else, you have to tell it, and you can say, oh, you know what, we just texted, so I'm gonna mark that person as followed up via uh, text. And so that is actually super helpful. And you can do this for hundreds of people in like an hour a week. When you're following up with people, so let's say, for example, and when you talked about this lawyer, which you didn't have an immediate need, you got his contact details because you're just starting off and you're building that network. 90 days goes by, you haven't had a contact. What would be a type of thing that you're supposed to follow up with, if at all? You can literally just say, hey, how's it going? It's been a while since such and such event. What's the latest with you? For me, I had a kid, so that's kind of the big news in my life. And I'll shoot him a photo of the kid. You don't have to have a kid to have news but it is pretty funny to see people's reactions. So I literally just ask what's new with them. I send them a message, make sure they know who I am. So if I'm texting them, I might say, hey, it's Jordan Harbinger. We met a couple weeks ago at so-and-so's birthday party. How are you? It's been a minute. What are you working on? For me, I had a kid, so I haven't been sleeping. You know, that kind of stuff. And they'll say, oh, I remember when we first had our kid. Is this your first? You know, you get into a little conversation, but it's not that big of a deal. A lot of people go, oh, I don't wanna have to get into 20 conversations a week, I'm busy. You're not going to. Maybe 75% will reply if you're lucky, and they'll say something, and then you'll say something, and then they'll say something, and then you'll say bye. That's really how it works. Or they'll say, hey, gotta jump into a meeting, good to hear from you. These are like very slow text or email interactions. You're not going, let's go out for lunch next week. That's so unrealistic, and a lot of people, they won't do this because they're like, I don't have time 
to do all these coffees. And the truth is, nobody wants to have coffee with you, man. Like, calm down, everyone's busy. And even in the case where people say, we should get together, then I'll say, sure, I'm going to this event in January, I'm going to this event in February, and if they're like, how about coffee next week, you could say, man, I'm really slammed, but are you going to any of these events? I usually do group dinners at these events, and they'll get the hint. It's kind of like, no, I don't wanna have lunch with you every Monday, but I will see you twice a year at this event. Most people will get the hint. In fact, most people are so busy, they're relieved to hear that you don't wanna go out to lunch on Wednesday because they don't have time, they have a life. You don't have to worry about this too much. It's not like it's going to create a bunch more busyness in your life. And a lot of people will say, well, I don't have an hour a week. And I would say, not only do you have time to do this, but this is the majority of what you're doing for your networking. So this replaces in many ways you going to all these silly mixers and all these other things that you don't want and don't need to do. So it's very, very, very useful for people who think they don't have time or don't want to network. It's really, really, really good because you basically are off the hook for everything else. Jordan, as we went through this, I can see like you've shared a lot of systems here, such as like choose curated events. You're going to get so much more quality of people. When you go out there, you're introducing yourself to the people with an idea of maybe connecting them and just doing that connection builds a ton of social capital. It's a great social engineering tool. And then you're just regularly following up using a CRM and there's tons of them available. I know myself, I use HubSpot CRM and there's so many available out there. And in your case, like you're interviewing so many celebrities, some high ranking military officials and people of all walks of life that are really high profile. And so I see how this social and networking skill has allowed you to connect with these people. And my final question I want to ask is, you know, for someone who's like, listen, I just listened to this podcast, but I feel like my work doesn't require networking. Is this even relevant for me? What could be some of the magical things they could expect to happen in their life if they decide to implement some of these ideas? Yeah, you know, it's funny because anybody who thinks I don't need to network, I would just say, wow, there's a 0% chance that that's true. I don't know anybody in any line of work that does not need to meet other people. And even if you think, no, 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 really, I don't. I am working in a basement. All my client work comes to me and blah, 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 blah. That's fine. But the way that you're going to get other things out of life and business is by you helping other people. So even if you need nothing, which I've never met anybody that can really say that, even if you need nothing, people in your network will need things and you can be the facilitator of that and thereby get a bunch of social capital and goodwill. And the reason that that's important is because you actually don't know what you might need in the future. You know, what happens if you lose your job? Then you're screwed. I mean, I will get this message a lot like, hey, Jordan, I love this. And I'll go, oh, how's the networking course going? Because I have a free networking course at jordanharbinger.com slash course. It's like a freebie. And people will go, oh, I'm not doing it. I don't need it. I'm a preschool teacher. And I'll be like, well, okay, what happens if you ever run into career trouble? And they're like, oh, no, 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 it's a really secure job. I'm not worried about it, you know, knock on wood. And then six months later, I'll get an email that's like, what do I do? I just got laid off, I can't believe it. And I'll go reach out to your network and you know, see who else is teaching and where there might be positions available. And then that's when they go, so the problem is I didn't do anything like that. All I did was go to yoga and hang out with my friends and I didn't network because I worked for the government and I didn't need a job. And I'll go, well, you're the reason the phrase dig the well before you're thirsty exists. You were very thirsty and now you are screwed. You now have to start 
networking. And of course, everyone that you reach out to is gonna be like, oh, you need a job, got it. That's why you're reaching out. You don't care about me, what I'm up to. This is all just a ruse because you need a job. And we've all gotten these texts, emails, phone calls where someone's like, hey, what's up, long time, no talk. And you're thinking like, okay, so you want me to what? Like sell Herbalife or you join Scientology? Like what is it? Why are you calling me after five years? But if you have no agenda and you start reaching out to those people now, then they'll be suspicious at first, but it won't matter because you're not asking them for anything. So if you make a list of people and you say, hey, I lost touch with this person, can I reacquaint myself with them? If you make a list of those people and then you reach out now when you don't need anything, then you have a huge advantage because those people will probably wonder what's up, but if you don't ask them for anything and you keep in touch with them regularly for the next six months or a year, then if you do need something later, they're not going, aha, you just became friends with me for the past two years because you thought that's never gonna occur to them. But if you go, hey, old buddy, old pal, what's up? And they're like, oh my gosh, good to hear from you. And then you're chatting, 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 and you're like, so I need a job. They're like, ah, you never cared. This was just a thing so that you could eventually ask me for this. So all of this, small talk BS was just you buttering me up. And it's worse than just coming out and saying, I'm screwed, I need a job. But neither are effective. Mm. Jordan, this is so powerful. And I love for everybody listening, if you've noticed, Jordan's mentioned the phrase, dig the well before you're thirsty. Go out, build your network. There's so many powerful tools that were shared right here, such as finding those curated events. You've seen the example of when you go in and talk with the staff, the regular people there, it's really powerful. You can see how the social capital that you build can always have a long-term positive effect. So it's an important thing that you can implement in the workplace to getting you a different position, getting more clients, being able to get a safety net if ever something does happen in the workplace. And as the digital landscape is evolving as well, there's even more tools that allow you to connect through various social media platforms such as LinkedIn, etc. And I mean, for me and Jordan to actually have had a chance to do this podcast was through me actually actively monitoring and keeping in touch with him. And so this is actually an effective example as to how keeping in touch is something that you should constantly do. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. This was extremely valuable. And I hope that everybody gets a chance to go to jordanharbinger.com look for the six minute networking course. It's going to be truly transformational. I know I'm going to be looking out for it as well. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and comments about what you particularly liked about the stories and the tools that you heard from Jordan. And be sure to share this with friends that can definitely take a hint from the ways of building that social capital learned in this episode. This is your host, Jason Campbell. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.